0: Is
1: real. There's power in your name, my hope. Trust in your ways, we need real. And Jesus is
0: real. Even the very name in Hebrew of man. Is tied to the idea of dust. And of course, we're gonna see things like from dusty came if the dusty will return. This gives us another sense of who we are as humans. We are both earthbound and heaven-bound, or heaven-prepared if you're in Christ.
1: You know, the world wants to tell you that you're descended from monkeys and even further back than that from some primordial ooze or bacteria or something. You see the result of that thinking all around you with so many people in despair because they have no meaning for their lives. Pastor Daniel will offer an alternative idea that we have been made with intent by an awesome loving God to be God's stewards of the earth. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 2 as he begins his message, Gospel Prelude. Jesus, is real.
0: As we continue our study that we're calling Origins through the book of Genesis, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We took Genesis 1-1 to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, where we looked at specifically the seven days of creation. And we see there God as the great designer fashioning all of creation. This week, I've entitled this message The Gospel Prelude. Because what happens now In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4 to the end of this chapter, in a sense, we're coming out from the full seven days, and now we're going to zero back in on the sixth day of creation, the creation of Adam and Eve. Because it's going to set the stage, really, for the rest of the Bible. You're going to find a common theme coming through these verses, which are three things. And really, your whole Bible is about three things. God the people and the land these three concepts run you seriously from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation this is the gospel story God who keeps covenant with people so those people and then the land in which they are living it's what they would call a meta-narrative an overarching theme of the Bible What's interesting here is if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. This is Genesis 2, verse 6. But a mist went up from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, it's interesting that it begins this section with, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That word that's translated in this translation the New King James's history is actually the Hebrew word that you get 11 other times in the book of Genesis, which is the word genealogy. The word that we get genealogy or generations in the Hebrew, it's the word toldot. And really it is the marker of how you break up the book of Genesis. Every time you get these are, this is the genealogy or this is the generations, whether you get it here of the heavens and the earth in chapter five, verse one, The generations or genealogy of Adam and Genesis 6 9, you get it of Noah, and there's 11 of them. The best way to break up the book of Genesis is by these toldotes, these generations. Now, it's interesting that in all the places that this word toldot is found, This is the only place where it's spelled in this unique way. Now, in Hebrew, and I know all of you, someone had put on Facebook that they came with their Hebrew Old Testament. If you were to look at that word toldo, you'll find that in order to make an O in the Hebrew language, there's two different ways to do it. There's what's called a holom, which is just a a vowel pointing, or there's what's called a Vav, which is the letter V with a vowel pointing over it. You say, well, Pastor Daniel, what's the big deal about that? If we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, why is this the only place in the book of Genesis that that word "Toldot" is spelled with two vavs rather than one? The rabbis make a big deal about this because I think it is a big deal because this is the only place where God is doing the creating and everywhere else it is the offspring of humankind. So it's powerful that this very first told is unique because God is the one who's doing the work. God is the one who's producing the work initially. This is the generations, or the history, or the genealogy of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And it speaks a little bit to the way that God created man in his image. We get the opportunity to be creative as God is, but not in the same way that God is. That's a human distinction. God could create matter out of nothing, we get the opportunity as humans to refashion already created matter. It's a powerful thing. So this toldo is unique. Now, in verse 4, you get something else that's unique, and that's the first place you get that word, Lord God. In your Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's interesting. The reason your Bible has it in all caps, because this is the personal name of God. This is the word, back in history, they'd say it was Jehovah. Today, more people say this is the word Yahweh. The reason we don't know for sure is because the Jewish people felt that God's name was holy. We get that from the Ten Commandments. And so they chose never to pronounce God's personal name. So instead, if you read Hebrew writings and rabbinics, they always call him Hashem, which is the name. So instead of saying his name, they say the name. So that'd be like if I said, and thank God I don't say this, and thank God you guys wouldn't follow me if I did, if I said, the name Daniel Fusco is just too holy, and you say, okay, we're just going to call him the name. And listen, you have to applaud the Jewish people's desire to honor God's name, but when you think about someone's name, like when you say Daniel Fusco, you don't think D-A-N-I-E-L space capital F-U-S-C-O. You think about me. And hopefully that gives you warm and fuzzy thoughts. (laughs) See, when you think about someone's name, you think about their nature, their personhood. But it's interesting that we get here, the Lord God, Yahweh, and then Elohim, that word God, we've already seen that in Genesis chapter one. And what's interesting is that God's personal name speaks about him in his desire to make a covenant with people. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you're going to see sometimes he's going to be called Elohim, which is God. And then sometimes he's called Yahweh or Lord in all capital letters, which speaks about God in his desire to make a covenant with people, his covenantal nature. So you have here that we're coming back out again. We're being reminded that God made the heavens and the earth. Now notice in verse 5, it points us to the reality that before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So now you get this narrative is now focusing in on the time before the plants were coming out of the ground, before any of the herbs of the field were there. It was not raining, and there was no man to till the earth. So in a way, we're getting pulled out from the seven days of creation, and we're getting put back into it right before the sixth day, or even the fifth day, to kind of get this flow. Now, what's going on here is this. This is beginning a new section where what we're trying to do is we've seen the whole creation. Now we want to see what's going on with mankind. This is all about the prelude to the fall of humanity, which we'll see in Genesis 3. So we're getting pulled out from the big picture. Now we're getting zoomed back in again. There's no man to till the ground. It's interesting in verse six, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So rain hadn't happened yet, but the earth is bringing forth mist. And then in verse seven, all of a sudden you get, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and a man became a living being. I think this is so fascinating. Because in Genesis chapter one and in verse 27, we find out that God created man in his image and according to his likeness, right? And you get all this beautiful language about how special man is, how spiritual this is, that God's crowning jewel of creation was that he was created in the image and likeness of God. Now what you get is you get that man was created of the dust of the ground. Now, instead of just seeing man in his spirituality, now we're seeing man in his creatureliness, in his earthliness. I mean, the dust of the ground. It's been said that all the matter that creates our body is worth a little more than three bucks. Seriously, if you were to take humanity into its base parts, you only get about three bucks for it. Most of us spend more than that on a cup of coffee. But what this is meant to do is it's meant to give us the full picture of humanity, created in the image and likeness of God, unique, special, but also very much earthbound, created of the dust. There's a play on words in the Greek because you get the word man, which is the word Adam, and the word ground is the word Adama, which is Adam with an ah on the end of it. So even the very name in Hebrew of man is tied to the idea of dust, and of course, we're going to see things like "from dusty came, and to dusty will return." This gives us another sense of who we are as humans. We are both earthbound and heaven bound, or heaven prepared, if you're in Christ. This is the dual nature of what is in humanity, completely dependent and tied to this earth, but also fitted for something greater. Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this in verses 46 to 49. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man, speaking of Jesus, is the Lord from heaven, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. This is why the Bible teaches that all of humanity must be born again, because By our birth, by our nature, given to us from our parents, we inherit our earthliness, our physicality. But Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived a sinless, that means without fault, life in the eyes of God and took our punishment that we might be enlivened in newness of life as we believe in him and as we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. So we get this man of dust from Adam. We get the spiritual nature from the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Jesus. It's the only way you get it. You can do yoga until you can bend over backwards literally. You can keep 613 Old Testament commandments. You can do the five pillars of Buddhism. You can do all of it and still fall short of being truly spiritual. Maybe you feel spiritual, but it's only through the bestowal of the Holy Spirit through your faith in Jesus. Even if you said every religion, I believe in every religion, you will find that no religion offers that. If you give each religion its due, no religion offers you that. And that is why Jesus is unique. Now, fascinating, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And this is gorgeous, really, when you think about it, that God has formed man, he's fashioned him together, and then he breathes into him. And of course, if you know your Bible, this reminds you, of course, of Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of the dry bones. Where you have this in-breathing of life into these dead bones. And in a lot of ways, again, it's that same picture we just spoke about, isn't it? Where you have a human, and then you want this breath that makes humanity a living being. That word, living being, it's literally living soul. That it's by the very breath of God. God. The implication is that man was specially created by God's breathing some of his own breath into him. That's powerful, isn't it? So right there you get a focus on the sixth day of creation. Now we see God forming man of the dust of the ground, breathing life into him, and he becomes a living soul. Now in verse 8, we start looking at some of the land and the location. It says this, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. The and the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hiddekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Wow, okay, there's a lot in that. We get this reality there that God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Now that word Eden means delight, and so we have this picture that God creates man, and he also creates a paradise for man to exist in. This place that is called Eden. We find here that out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I love that. See, God's good at his designing principles. He says, look, I want it to be pleasurable, artistic, and I also want you to be nourished by it. And it's kind of awesome. God could have made it. I mean, if you watch The Matrix or one of those type of movies, you find that when the machines, of course, we're talking hypothetically here, if you find the machines, when they make something, it's just ugly. But when God makes it, he makes things beautiful. I love the excellency of the way God is. God makes things beautiful, pleasant to the eyes, kind of awesome that he's like that. God isn't cacophonous in his design. He's harmonious in his design. And not only that, it's also good for food. We also get that there's two specific trees there. You get the tree of life. And then you get the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's fascinating that when you look at the New Jerusalem that gets ushered in at the end of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, these trees are there as well. We have the tree of life, and then we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now again, the purpose of this is the prelude to what's going on in humanity, and you get both of these trees there, and we're going to hear about both of these trees. You guys know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We're going to see Adam and Eve are going to be oh so naughty in regards to that tree. But then also, after they eat of this tree, then God puts some angels to guard so that they don't eat the tree of life, which would mean that we would live eternally in our sinfulness. God did not want humanity on the earth in a fallen state forever. But you have both of these trees there in the garden. And then, of course, we get these four rivers I mean, think about this. There's beautiful trees, gorgeous and good for food, and now we get four rivers coming out of it. I mean, this sounds like a pretty awesome place, like the gorge by infinity. You get these four rivers. Now listen, I read, honestly, I must have read about 80 pages of scholarly conjecture about what these rivers are, where they are, where this thing gets located, and the reality is, is that... You really can't place the Garden of Eden anywhere. Of course, we know the Euphrates River and the Tigris River are located in what is modern-day Iraq, what was formerly the Babylonian Empire. You can look at certain things like Hedekah, which goes east toward Assyria, or Gihon, the land of Cush, which could be present-day Ethiopia. So we could do this for hours. I kind of spent a lot of time on this in my notes, and I just realized when I got to the end of exhaustive study, as I felt it was, for this time around me studying this, and I realized, of course, that when we get to Genesis chapter 6 to 8, we have a universal flood. And when you have four rivers, and you are trying to place where this thing is, and you get a universal flood, guess what that does? That ruins any chance you have of placing this thing on the map. Because that flood had universal consequences, radically affected the geological structure. So things that were there before the flood and where they said after the flood um, stuck. So I was really hoping to come to you guys and say, all right, I'm going to tell you right where the Garden of Eden was. And that would have been really cool. But I can't do that. So you guys forgive me? Thank you. I'm trusting in your graciousness. But we have this land now. God has created man, he's breathed life into him, and he's placed him in a garden. And now, Israel, we really get into where the plot starts to get set up for us. Look at verse 15. It says this Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. These three verses, very important. In verse 15, you get vocation. God took Adam and he placed him in the garden to tend and to keep the garden. What this means is that even before the fall of mankind, God has vocation for humanity. There is work to do. And work, especially as it relates to you guys, the reality is that when God cursed Adam, he cursed the work that he was going to do. That's why a lot of you wives are like, my husband's a workaholic, right? He's just living out the curse on Adam. Adam. Not that work is bad, but the way a man's heart relates to his work. That's the problem. Because right here in verse 15, vocation is part of God's plan for humanity. Work is part of God's plan. God did not create humanity to sit on a lazy boy, have a remote control stuck to his hand, and not do anything. That demeans humanity. So right in verse 15, we get the idea of vocation. Now, in verse 16, we get the idea of permission or freedom. Look what it says. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now, when most people think about God, they don't think about God's permission that He has given us. Most often they think about what? The restrictions, right? Now, of course, we get the prohibition in verse 17. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in the day you eat of it, what? You will surely die. Jesus is real.
1: It's an incredible thing to think about. Men and women are alive because God Himself breathed His breath into us. Wow. Just knowing that should make you feel differently about yourself since this goes completely against what the world system tells you that you are. As Pastor Daniel taught today, mankind, even though made from dirt, has a dignity and specialness above all other creatures. Not because we made ourselves special, but because God did.
0: Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
1: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about God's plan for work. Yes, God invented work. It's not a result of the fall. As Pastor Daniel continues in chapter 2 of Genesis you'll find out about God's intention for a lot of things that have been twisted and corrupted by mankind's rebellion against God. You're going to be reminded of how far we've come from the garden and of God's desire for reconciliation. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Origins. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.